Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. My name is Nathaniel Mayhew, and joining me today is Pastor Ben Libby. We are gearing up for the annual festival of the Trinity. Trinity Sunday, which is just around the corner, the church remembers and celebrates the nature of God. So in this podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about this doctrine of God. We're going to spell out the nature of this term, the Trinity, and what it is. We're going to take a look at the biblical support for that, and we'll even talk a little bit about some of the errors, both past and present, that relate to God in and outside of Christianity in our world today. Ben, glad to have you with us as we gear up for this important festival of the nature of who God is and what he has done for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here. It's it's one of those unique festivals, you know, Nathaniel, that normally we celebrate uh, an event, you know, like Christmas or Easter or, you know, Pentecost, like we just had. But on this Sunday, we kind of, we celebrate a doctrine. It's uh, sort of strange, but really it's, it's one of the most important doctrines in the Bible, because if you don't have a proper understanding of it or you confuse it, then that really damages, you know, your faith. And so it's really important. I think it's good to, to look at this, to examine this. It's not exactly always the easiest thing to talk about or to understand. Sometimes you just can't understand it when it comes to the Trinity and you just kind of have to say, God knows. And, uh, I'll leave it up to God, but yeah, really, I'm really happy to talk about this subject. I might not be <laughs> the most uh, intelligent to, to discuss it, but, uh, but I'm very happy to, to be here with you today. The, the nature of God is something that is, it's sort of just baked into us as human beings. The fact that there is a God. So religions, they're everywhere in the world. Throughout the history of the world, there have been religions which have these beliefs in a God or gods. We typically divide the religions of the world up into two main classes or categories. We call those religions that are monotheistic and religions that are polytheistic. Let's start there and talk a little bit about the difference between those two and what those, those terms mean for those that might not be familiar with them. Monotheism, Nathaniel, is one of those things that it is, it means that you believe in one God, basically, right? Polytheism, poly means many, means you believe in many gods, or at least more than one. So therein kind of lies the problem with the doctrine of Trinity, of the Trinity, I'd say, because some people would say, okay, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's three. So you have three gods, you're polytheistic. We say, no, we have one God. God is one, one God, monotheism. Uh, and so that's kind of, that's why the Trinity, the, the teaching of the Trinity is very important. So you don't cross over into polytheism, which is, which is wrong. That's heathenistic. Monotheism, you know, that's taught all throughout the Bible. But then you have to understand how the Trinity talks about itself there, uh, 
many different religions have believed in many different gods throughout the universe. We have that natural knowledge of God baked into us, like you were mentioning, and that it, it tells us that there is a God, but then people come up with the different kind of ways of interpreting that. Who is God? What is a God? Is this a God? Is that a God? So it's important to acknowledge the natural knowledge of God inside of us and to, and to look to the one true God, uh, the Lord. And we have one God, the Trinity, the Lord. When you use that term, the Lord, which we see quite often in the Old Testament, when it's, and it can be either the word Lord or it can be the term God, but whenever mm -hmm. it's in all capital letters, that's the English translator's way of indicating to the reader, this is the personal name of the triune God. And I like to tell people, when you see that term in all capital letters in the Old Testament, you should be thinking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just the, just the Father. It's not just the Son. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It is the three persons of the Godhead revealed in one. There are three major monotheistic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Mm -hmm. And those three religions are related. They all tie back to the Old Testament, interestingly. But the, 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 the majority of the religions of the world are polytheistic. They have this belief in many, many gods. We might think of Hinduism as one example. But even within some of the so-called or seemingly Christian religions in our own country, like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, they're actually a polytheistic religion, aren't they? Yes, they'll try to make you think that they're, and, and I think this kind of goes to the, to the definition of Christian. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you're not Christian. And we've kind of been talking about that. To be Christian means to believe in the Trinity. And those religions, like you were mentioning, Nathaniel, they don't. They want like they would like you to think that they're Christian, like Jehovah's Witnesses. Like they put that word Jehovah in their name. It's kind of clever, actually, but they really they don't believe that Jesus is true God. They believe he's like a God, small G. But so basically, you need to have that understanding of who this God is. And like, yeah, like you said, there's those three religions who are monotheistic, but two of them. You know, they they have other ideas about the Trinity, like applications, I would say. Like, for instance, Judaism, sure, they believe in the Trinity, but they also don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. So that's a problem. Right. And same with uh, the Muslims. They they really don't rely on Jesus Christ. So you need to have the, that fundamental basic teaching of the Trinity to be Christian, to be part of, you know, the church. And you also need to understand what that means and what that relationship is of the self. I love the way you explained the, the term Lord there, by the way. Yeah. All caps, Lord. That's what we're talking about there. The triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. So if you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, and I've had them actually bring this out when I've had discussions with them, one of their little tricks when they come to the door of a supposed Christian is, you know, they'll say, well, do you believe in the Trinity? And a good Christian will say, well, of course I do. Of course I believe in the Trinity. Because they, they, again, act like they're Christians too and that you have something in common. And then they'll say, ah, but the Trinity actually isn't taught in the Bible. 
And you'll say, well, sure it is. It's everywhere in the Bible. And they'll say, okay, well, show me where the word Trinity or triune is found in the Bible. And some Christians will say, okay, let me get my, my concordance and let me, let me dig through here. And they will go through and they'll say, oh, it's not in here. And the Jehovah's Witness will get them to think they've been lied to for all of these years because the word triune or Trinity actually isn't in the Bible. So this term Trinity or triune, which comes from the Latin tri, three, uni, one, the idea of three and one, is a term that the early church used to describe the doctrine of God. But the doctrine of the Trinity, as we understand it, as the church understood it, has always existed. They always, they always taught it. They always understood it. But they didn't always use that word in order to define it. And in order to help us a little bit, you talked about how difficult this concept of the Trinity is. They also added a couple of other additional terms. We have an essence. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are of one essence, but they reveal themselves or God is revealed to us in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So can you take us through a little bit of the, the biblical foundation for this concept of triune, trinity, one essence, but three persons? Where, where does this come from in the Bible? If the word triune is not in the Bible, where do we get this doctrine of the trinity? Well, it's definitely in the Bible, and I kind of chuckled there because I've had that same experience. You know, they'll, they'll try to get you on your back foot by having you look stupid basically for this most fundamental teaching of yours which you're claiming to be true and that's basically if you're gonna if you're going to talk to a jehovah's witness that's gonna be you know on the forefront of your discussion with them whether or not they want it to like they kind of has to be because they believe in jesus to be one thing that's not what we believe jesus to be so They'll try to get you to uh, be like, oh, so the Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, just because the word Trinity is in the, not in the Bible doesn't mean the doctrine of the Trinity is in the Bible. It's all over the place. It is in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament. You have in the Old Testament, you have that monotheistic idea. The Lord, our Lord is one. Uh, but you also have uh, that many different uh, instances where you have that three different repeating of the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit being mentioned specifically in the Old Testament, the Father being mentioned specifically, and the Son in some instances uh, as well, too. You think of, like, the angel of the Lord. We kind of think that's sometimes Jesus. Um, so he, the Trinity is in the Old Testament. It's definitely made clear in the New Testament. Jesus uh, talks about it all the time, his relationship to the Father. Um, one of the passages that I think comes just jumps to most Christians' mind when talking about the Trinity is uh, the Great Commission. Uh, you know, uh, go therefore baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are lots of other places where it's, it's defined uh, more but I think that's kind of just because it's just because the word Trinity or triune is not in the Bible doesn't mean that the doctrine isn't it. It certainly is. We come up with all kinds of different names for 
different teachings that the that the Bible teaches us doesn't mean that the name itself needs to be in the Bible. The, the, the doctrines there, the passages are there. And that term was coined as a result of false teachings that were arising regarding right. the nature of God in order to clarify what the nature of God really is. You know, you would talk about Arianism, uh, Arius, we talk about him when we get into the Nicene Creed. And these false ideas about basically God revealing himself in different forms, you know, or we could talk about something like um, modalism, where mm -hmm. God would reveal himself in a certain mode on one day, but in a different mode, you know, as the spirit on one day and as the son on another day and the father as another day. So we have these terms that we're familiar with, but all of these are, are slight variations of false teachings on the actual nature of God. And one of my favorite passages dealing with the Trinity is found in the opening verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, this is one of those passages that came to me, not because I was studying the Trinity, but as I was studying the Bible. And mm -hmm. as I'm studying the Bible, I realized, hey, look at the terms here. This, this verse teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. It reminds us of these three persons, but the one essence of God. So I'm going to read from 1 Peter 1. There in verse 2, Peter writes, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then he goes on in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and then it goes on. Uh, it, verse five is pretty neat because it doesn't mention the spirit there, but it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed to the last time, which certainly indicates the Holy Spirit's work there as we study the scriptures themselves. Now, that is a pretty clear passage where you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We could also go into the, the sermons of Jesus on Monday, Thursday. John 14, 15, 16, 17, that's full of examples of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises. So you're going to find Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all over on that Monday Thursday uh, discourse with Jesus. But Ben, there are some people that would say that the doctrine of the Trinity was a Christian manifestation that developed in the early New Testament era and that the people of the Old Testament never believed the doctrine of the Trinity or that the doctrine of the Trinity was never taught in the Old Testament. What would you say to a person who, who says that the doctrine of the Trinity was not believed by the Old Testament believers, but was a New Testament, maybe even perversion, using their terms, of what God was or the God who was revealed in the Old Testament. How would you how would you address that? Well, I think, you know, to go back just to, to the scriptures and uh, I, even if you go back to just the books of Moses, which, okay, like we, we believe like in the whole Old Testament, but there are some people in Judaism who only believe in those books, that those are the only books that are inspired and you see that happening with Jesus a lot too. Even he would stick to a lot of times when he was debating people or trying to, you know, to teach them, he'd stick to those books alone, the Pentateuch, because 
everyone accepted those books, even though he has to quote other the other books of the Old Testament as well. But you look at some of those passages and and see, like I said, the different instances of the specific Godhead being mentioned. If if the Trinity is only something that was concocted as a uh, fourth or fifth century teaching by us because of these people who we just didn't agree with, well, then you wouldn't have the the teaching specific in the Old Testament. Um, yeah, I think of like some of those passages that I mentioned. Uh, can you can you think of anything else that I'm missing here, Nathaniel? Well, the one that comes to mind when I think of the doctrine of the Trinity, I think of our worship. Mm. You think about how often we mention the name of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, just in our worship. We begin our service with the invocation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have parts of the liturgy that are full of it. The Gloria Patri has the doctrine of the Trinity involved in it. You have prayers that are concluded with the doctrine of the Trinity. But my favorite is is probably what we call the ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 26. And this is something that we hear every Sunday. Now, maybe for once in, a, once in a blue moon, we will have that substituted with the Pauline blessing from 2 Corinthians 13, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the love of God. Sometimes we insert there the Father, because that's who mm -hmm. God is referring to, and the sanctification or the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But in Numbers chapter six, when God comes to Moses, he says, I want you to put my name on my people. Tell Aaron, this is the way I want you to do it. And we have those familiar verses then. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we might miss it. But if you go to those verses, the word Lord, the name Jehovah or Yahweh is mentioned three different times. Lord, Lord, Lord. And it's in all capital letters, but notice the blessing that comes in each one of those. Verse one, the Lord bless you and keep you. And when we categorize the work, let's just using the catechism, we talk about the work of God, the father. What do we usually call that? Creation. Creation and preservation. The Lord mm -hmm. bless you and keep you. And then what do we call the work of God, the son? Redemption. Redemption. And we talk about the word that's related to redemption, and that's God's grace revealed to us in the person of Jesus. The Lord, make his face shine upon you. There's a passage in the New Testament that says that we have the face of God revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. So there we have the indication of this is God the Son. And then the third uh, person what do we call the work of God, the Holy Spirit? Sanctification. Sanctification. And we call him, again, in the Gospels, Jesus refers to him as the comforter, the one who brings us peace. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I don't know how you can look at those verses there, Ben, and not see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the work that we see laid out so clearly in our catechisms. And, and so for us to look at the Old Testament and say the doctrine of the Trinity isn't there is just foolish. It's, it's all over in the Old Testament. Or another example, one of my favorites is Isaiah 6, when the Lord is calling Isaiah. And we have these angels singing back and forth in the temple of God singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. 
And what is the number for God in Revelation? It's the number three because he's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or even the fact that the name of God in the Hebrew Elohim is used in the plural, not in the singular. Yes. Indicating the fact that God is more than one person. Uh, let us make man in our image. Not let me make God a man in my image, but let us make man in our image. So there's mm -hmm. so many indicators, even in the Old Testament, of this nature of God being three persons. One in essence, like you mentioned, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one but revealed in three distinct and separate persons. Right. The reason why we have to come up with this term Trinity is because of the error that came along later in the church and the different attacks that would, that were coming against this doctrine, this truth that we have a triune God and these different errors crept into the church during the later cent, like during the early centuries of it. And that's why they had to define it in a way that they had to go farther and farther with it, with their definition of it. And, and that's kind of where we are today, too. Uh, you were mentioning some of those false teachings. We kind of mentioned them briefly. But if you look at the creeds, talking about our worship service, we have three different creeds that we recite. And the most frequent one we recite is the Apostles' Creed. That creed definitely has Trinitarian like we were just discussing, it breaks down the Trinity in three different ways. But then there was also the next one, the Nicene Creed, which takes it even, even further. It defines Jesus in this way that makes it really, I mean, the Apostles' Creed is clear too, but the Nicene Creed, you can't confess that and believe that and not understand that Jesus is God. He's the same as God. Jesus is God, you know, he is God. And then we have this Athanasian creed that will, that we tip, we traditionally recite on up on this Sunday that we're about to come up to on Trinity, Trinity Sunday. And that, that we, you don't say it very often. It's, it's long and it's repetitive, but there's no, there is no better way to really get what the, the triune God is than saying that creed it's it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not well known, but I tell you what, that's about as simple as you can get that Athanasian Creed. Yeah, all three of those creeds we can find in our our hymnal, page twelve, page twenty two, page fifty three. You'll find the Athanasian Creed, like you said. We use the Apostles' Creed the most. Mm -hmm. The Nicene Creed in most of our circles, we'll use the Nicene Creed on a Communion Sunday. And the poor Athanasian Creed, we only use maybe once a year on, maybe once a year on Trinity Sunday, at least the, the first half of it. But it is a, it is a wonderful, and we have to remember the context of the Athanasian Creed. The Athanasian Creed was the latest of all of them. The Nicene Creed may have been the earliest. It began in 325 at the Council of Nicaea. We don't know, there are roots of the Apostles' Creed that date all the way back to the first century with the creed that Rufinus uh, presented and was kind of spread throughout Christianity. But it's a little bit hard to figure out when the Apostles' Creed was actually used consistently throughout the church. And same thing with the Athanasian Creed. Uh, there are some that would date the Athanasian Creed as late as, you know, even into the eighth century. Hmm. But 
it was named after Athanasius, who was the great defender of the doctrine of the Trinity against Arius at the Council, Council of Nicaea in 325. So some pretty amazing language that's used there. And some of the terms that you get in the creeds are very, very important also. So for the non-Greek student, they might not be familiar with some of these, but you had the whole debate over whether Jesus was of the same substance of the Father or a similar substance of the Father. And so there was that whole debate over whether it was homoousius or homoiousius, one letter in the Greek. Uh, but it was a very, very different concept. And the creed came back and said, no, Jesus is, and if you take a look at the, the creed, the Nicene creed, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. And here it is, being of one substance with the Father. That's homoousius, same substance. Uh, of one substance is the translation that we have in English with the father. In other words, he wasn't a similar substance, kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses say he was a God-like thing. You know, he became like God, but he was a lesser God. No, Jesus was of the same substance as the father. So some beautiful, very, very important language that's used there. And again, in our 21st century, we might look at that and say, what's the big deal? I don't, you know, we don't, we don't deal with that every day, but they did. Yeah. And those false teachings of Arius and others are still around and prevalent in our world today in different, in different ways. But, you know, you think about, we've talked about the, the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses who present a doctrine that is similar to those in the early church that were, that were spoken against by these creeds. The apostles, the Nicene and the Athanasians said, these things are not true. Or you mm -hmm. think about the Unitarians and how they want to present this uh, nebulous idea of a God out there that is that undermines the doctrine of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So all kinds of examples that makes it realize that this idea of the doctrine of the Trinity is just as important today as it was close to 17, 1800 years ago when the church began to have these debates way back then. Right. Something that... that we talk about sometimes, and you might hear this word uh, from time to time when it comes to different doctrines, is the, the doctrine of the Trinity is fundamental. Now, what I mean by that is not only is it important, it's you need to have it for faith, right? And some might get offended by that and say, wait, if I, if I don't understand the Trinity the same way that you understand, if I don't confess it the same way that you confess it, I can't get into heaven. And it, the reason it's fundamental is because of what you were kind of saying before too, uh, Nathaniel, with some of those errors. If you don't understand the, like the role of Jesus to the father, for instance, then you're going to miss the boat because then you don't believe Jesus is God. So then you don't really believe that's then you're not a Christian. That's why it, it is fundamental, not only a basic building block of the faith. It's also you need to have it to have salvation, because if you don't believe that Jesus is the same as God, then you don't believe in God. Whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son also has the father also. That's 1 John 2, 22. You can find 
many different passages like of Jesus saying the similar thing. Um, John 8, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So there is this relationship. And that's kind of what you were talking about with Arianism. That was the main attack of that is that Jesus is not the same as God. Yes, he kind of has this relationship to him or he was like adopted as the son of God later. You know, there's all kinds of false teachings with fraternity, like basically any, take any kind of part of it that's confessed in the Athanasian creed and you'll find a false teaching that kind of attacks that part of it. And that's why it's so repetitive. So long is because it's dealing with all these it has this history of combating all these false teachings so you, you really need to understand what you're saying in the in when you say i believe in a triune god and then you need to you know see why that's so important because it, it really really is well it, it reminds me of what we find in the athanasian creed and a lot of people take this as being too harsh or rough around the edges but in the athanasian creed we confess whoever will be saved before all things it is necessary that he hold the catholic faith which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt he shall perish everlastingly and then this is the key part here and the Catholic faith, and by Catholic, we mean small c, that means universal. It's not talking about the Roman Catholic, but, right. and the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. And then it goes on defining that doctrine of the Trinity. And like you said, some people say, well, that's, that's way too harsh. I mean, this is very specific. And you're right, it is. And just like you just said there, quoting from First John, Jesus makes that same point. John makes that same point. Paul makes that same point that if you reject the doctrine of the Trinity, you are worshiping a false God. We're back to the first commandment. Mm -hmm. We are now, we're worshiping an idol. And the reason that God takes that so serious and makes the first commandment, the first commandment is because if we are worshiping an idol, we are lost. God does not want us to be lost. He doesn't want us to worship this false God. He wants us to have eternal life, but the only way for us to gain eternal life is by knowing that he is the true God and what he has done in order to redeem us from the problem of sin. So it's not this idea of, if you don't believe in me, you're going to hell. It's more like the only way you can get to heaven is by knowing what I have done for you. And that's right. what I want for you. And that's why I want you to know who I am and what I have done for you. So that kind of puts a positive spin on the first commandment that we say, well, it's that negative. Oh, God wants us to you know, worship him because he's selfish or because he's you know, full of himself or something like that. No, God wants us to know who he is because he loves us and he doesn't want us to spend eternity in hell. And in order to do that, we have to know the nature of who he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what he has accomplished for us. Right. I think two of... Right, before, right after Jesus tells that tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, he also talks about that relationship he has with the Father, too, and that he's not speaking by his own authority, he's speaking by the Father. And, if, okay, so that this is from John 14, verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And what he's saying there is, hey, this is not just, you know, me. This is the Father through me. And there are, like, 
I, we just had, I had this text in Easter too, you know, when Thomas finally sees Jesus and he praises him, he worships him after that. And then Jesus says, you know, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't correct Thomas in his worship of him. He said, you know, he lets it happen. God, the father praises Jesus. You have that instance in the beginning of Holy Week where the voice comes from heaven and saying, this is my son. And that, that happens some other places in the Bible as well. But if God hates idols, if God hates them so much that like he can't stand them, then why would he praise this person, Jesus, if he, he can't, he can't be anything but God himself. There's a lot that I don't understand about the Trinity, Nathaniel. I got to be honest with you. Like, I don't understand how there we have one God, and yet there are three different persons. Yet there's not three gods. There's one God, you know, and there's not one different distinct person. There's three. It doesn't make a lot of sense the way, like, you try to like break it down by way of analogy, and it you nothing is really perfect for it because there's nothing like the Trinity in out there. So a lot of the time you just have to, you really have to say, this is what God says. And I'm going to believe that it's just like, like anything else, I suppose, like, you know, the, like the Lord's supper, but it doesn't mean that we can't, we don't have good scriptures to defend it or like beautiful creeds that speak on it very well. So we do have those. At the same time, you can't strive to get to a place logically where the creed is going to make sense to you as a flawed human being, I'd say that. And that's important to realize too, because all of those errors that we kind of glanced over, they really come from that point of view of like well Jesus can't really be the same thing as God the Father and that gets you into all kinds of trouble or you know okay well they're really just you know they're really just part and parcel of the same God you know that gets you into trouble so don't try to say more than what the Bible says just agree that this is what God says about it and say I am sinful I don't understand this like you said, you know, you can compare it to the doctrine of the resurrection or the incarnation or any yeah. of these other doctrines that are beyond our comprehension. And sometimes people say, well, it's this wishful faith that you have. But God has given us reason in so many areas of his word to trust him in the areas that we cannot understand this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he says, you know, I saw, I saw Martians yesterday you know, and you have no reason to believe that he gives us all kinds of reasons to trust him in other areas. And we can see that carried out in archaeology and history, in, in doctrine, in all of these areas. And so when we get to something like this, that is beyond our ability to comprehend right now, we can say, you know what, he's proven himself worthy of my trust. And so when it comes to this issue, I'm simply going to let God be God. I'm going to let his word speak and I'm going to follow his word. And I'm not going to try to rationalize it, try to understand it, uh, try to unravel it because that only makes a mess when we try to unravel something like this, at least in our, like you said, imperfect understanding this side of heaven. Yeah, definitely. One of the passages I wanted to close with was a passage that you and I had last week in 
our sermon, we closed in the doctrine of Pentecost with this passage. And I'd like to close with that as we wrap up our study of the doctrine of the Trinity, who God is. Thus says the Lord, and this is in all capital letters, so we're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus says Jehovah, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Jehovah of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And as you pointed out earlier from that familiar verse in John 14, Jesus reminds us that if we do not if we do not recognize him and the, that he is God, then we have no access to the Father. We have no salvation. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him and what he has accomplished for us through his death on the cross. So a beautiful, very important doctrine that we have revealed here to us. And while we are reminded of it every time that we come to church, in our liturgy, in our hymns, in the readings that we have, we have the privilege of really focusing on this particular doctrine this coming weekend as we celebrate the festival of Holy Trinity. And we are reminded that there is only one God and that that one God, in, which is one in essence, is revealed to us in the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have carried out the work of our redemption through election, through redemption, through sanctification, all in order to accomplish our salvation. And we praise that triune God for all that has been done for sinners such as us. Yes, amen. Let us never take this doctrine for granted. Uh, let us rejoice that God has revealed it to us, that he has given us this, this glimpse of his nature and that, and that uh, we have seen the son and what he has done for us, that we have seen the father who has created us and continues to nurture us. And we have seen the spirit who has brought, who has allowed us to see those things, you know, who's given us the faith to believe in this, in this triune God. So praise be to the Lord. Let us never take uh, his name, his, his doctrine for granted. If you want to do a little bit of more research in preparation for Holy Trinity this coming weekend, we have recorded a couple of other podcasts dealing with the Trinity specifically in some of our hymn studies. No doubt you'll be singing a few Trinitarian hymns this weekend. You can go back into our archives and find a couple of those hymn studies that highlight the nature of the triune God as well. And that might be something that would be worthwhile too if you're looking for other ways to prepare for Trinity Sunday this coming weekend. Ben, thanks for being with us. We pray that this study has been a value to all of you as our listeners as we continue to reflect on the nature of our God who has redeemed us and saved us. And as we focus on the hope that is ours through our creation, redemption, and sanctification. The Lord keep you this weekend. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's promise that he will always be with you, even to the end of the world.